Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Welcome to the Sages Among Us. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and I'm pleased to introduce you to my guest tonight, Aaron Tarr, Executive Director of the Bear Yuba Land Trust. Aaron has a passion for land cons- conservation and access to nature, and we're going to learn lots more about that. Aaron, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Thank you, Lori. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. And as we were talking off air, one of the things we really love to do is get to know a little bit about you before we delve into all this wonderful work that you do. So I was wondering, where did you grow up? Um, So I was born in Iowa City, Iowa, um, and then I grew up in Cedar Falls, Iowa, Northeast Iowa. Um, So I lived there until I was 18 when I graduated high school. Oh, so did you make a big decision to leave or did your, is your family still back there? Some of my family's back there, but yeah, I knew... Um, you know, from the time I was probably about 16 that I wanted to move to Colorado. Um, so that's what I did right when I graduated, um, just picked up and, and moved out to Colorado. Had you been to Colorado before that or you just read about it or? We had, yeah, my family would go there a lot for like spring break and Christmas and, um, we would stay there and ski and snowboard and things. So I, yeah, I had a really special connection with that place and just loved it. You know, I had, I kind of had a plan to go to college in Colorado, but I think really my passion and my desire was just to explore, explore the mountains. I worked at ski resorts and just a lot of random jobs, um, just to be able to, to live there and, you know, yeah, explore the Rocky mountains. It was pretty amazing. So where did you, where were some of the places that you lived when you were in Um, Colorado? So I started in Colorado Springs and realized quickly that was not the place. That was, you know, the front range, just too busy, too hard to get into the mountains. Um, So then I lived in Alma, Colorado for about a year. That's actually the highest incorporated town in the United States. Oh, what's the elevation? 10,600. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. I'm going to have to look it up on the map tonight. (laughs) Right across, right over the pass from Breckenridge. So, you know, I'd worked, I worked in Breckenridge and lived in Alma where we had snow pretty much from like September to June. And and how many people lived in Alma? There were 217 when I was there. Oh my gosh. So this, this last few weeks has not really been a big deal to you. Right. No, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) wow that's impressive i'm fascinated about that and so were most people that live there working at the ski resorts or or what pretty much yeah some people you know like one of my friends was a crane operator and but everybody pretty much worked in breckenridge and lived over there um and then after living in alma i moved down to durango down in the southwest um worked at the college down there didn't actually go to college worked there and then um kind of had a life-changing experience when I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, I was 20. Uh, didn't, you know, that, that really made me and my partner reevaluate uh, what we were doing and what the future was going to look like. So um, 
let's see, that was 2003, we decided to move to California. Um, my partner got a carpenter apprenticeship here in Sacramento, and, um, you know, I found a college. I started at Sierra College, so we kind of found here a in new the, life path. In Nevada I, County I started in Rockland. I took um, astronomy up here, though. We'd come up to the campus up here for our um, for our star viewing, which was pretty awesome. And that's that's what uh, what drew you to want to live up in this area is your experience. Because if you came from Iowa and you were living in Colorado, you probably didn't know this area that well, did you? No, I didn't know anything about this area. When we moved to California, originally we moved to Rockland. And that was the first time I had seen like cookie cutter subdivision. Um, it was pretty mind blowing. I was just like, oh my gosh, where am I? Um, so I actually found out about this community through KVMR. Which is pretty crazy. Because oh, I'm getting tingles. <laughs> that is so cool. Tell me more. Um, so when I was in Colorado, I, I uh, discovered Democracy Now! And just was like, oh, this is the news program. For me, it was on a local radio station. So when we moved to Rockland, I tried to find Democracy Now! again and found it on KVMR. So through that, just listening to that nightly, I would also hear other programs and just hear about all the music and the culture and just everything happening up here. Um, you know, and then started coming up and visiting the river and, and made some friends here, go to music events. And um, so that's really how I discovered Nevada County and never thought I would get a permanent job here where I could actually move my family and raise my kids. So just, yeah. Wow. Really that, that is amazing. I love, I love how these um, full circle events happen right um to, to hear that so when you were growing up in Iowa what were some of your early passions um let's see I always loved writing so from the time I was in first grade I think that's what I t said I wanted to be I wanted to be a writer I think my first grade teacher just loved one of my stories and it just made me feel like I was good at it <laughs> and then um throughout high school it kind of it was still kind of writing but it was more like photojournalism I really wanted to work for National Geographic and get to travel and take pictures of these beautiful places and write about it um and then, you know, once, once I had kids and was in college with kids, it was just a little different. I was like, okay, I need a job. I got to get through this. Um, I started college actually um, to be a nurse. So that was for about a year. I was in that program. I took a class called the Environment and Human Impact that was given by Joe Medeiros. Um, and that just completely changed the trajectory of my, of my life. It, I was like, okay, I'm not that great at caring for people. I don't think I would really be that great of a nurse, but I love nature and, you know, I can care for nature. So just, yeah, diverted to Ooh, environmental that, stuff. Erin, I'm going to have tingles the whole time we're talking about <laughs> these are so powerful, impactful statements. So was Joe, this teacher, was that through Sierra College or was that? Yep. He was at Sierra College. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He just retired a few years ago. I think he really impacted a lot of people's lives. He was an amazing teacher. And then you continued on at Sac State? Yeah. Then I transferred to Sac State in the environmental studies program. Um, I really focused on botany. And then my first class actually at Sierra College was physical geography. And that teacher told me, you need to get a skill. You should do GIS as a skill. So right away, I started learning GIS as well. Um, it's, you know, online map making. It's a mapping software. What does it actually stand for? Because I'm sure a lot of people know oh, what that right. stands for. But what? It's, uh, so GIS is Geographic Information Systems. So, yeah, it's, a you know, an online software that you can do mapping, which comes 
it's a great skill for many, many careers. Um, But yeah, so I kind of, you know, I feel like botany and GIS, those are the real skills that I picked up in in college, as well as like critical thinking. I think the environmental studies program, some of my classes were, you know, about like environmental ethics, and it showed me that all issues aren't black and white. There's like a lot of gray area in there. so just, yeah, just how, how I think about things changed. And, and then just balancing all that while you're raising a family, that's... Yeah, it was a challenge. I was, I was determined to keep a career, though. You know, like, while I loved being with my kids, I had kind of seen it through my family with, you know, a mom who had stopped working. She went to college for a career, stopped to be with her kids, and then once she wanted to get back, she, she couldn't really get back into it, so... Yeah, I, I knew that I had a passion for this and wanted to keep doing it. Well, did you have any um, role models or mentors uh, as you uh, were drawn into this new field for you? Um, that's kind of, that's a hard one. I mean, a lot of people that I looked up to as like managers, um, I think I learned a lot about like how different managers treat employees and what I liked and didn't like there. Um, I think in the land, once I got into the land trust world, um, a lot of other executive directors were mentors for me. You know, my former boss as well, who worked at the land trust was a mentor. And then a lot of the board members like that I've gotten to know um, through the land trust as well. I mean, it's, there's some really amazing people in this community and I'm just the, not only the board members, the landowners as well that we wa- that we work with. There's just so many unique people that have very interesting backgrounds and are just willing to help. And well, that, that's we'll get to the land trust in detail a little bit more. But I know you had some initial jobs after you got your degree and and started working in your field. So what were some of those jobs? Um, Yeah, well, I had the pleasure of graduating during the recession. So I think in 2009, I graduated and the job market wasn't looking very good. So there was a lot of part-time jobs. Um, But I ended up getting my first job with the California Department of Fish and Game. Um, So I was a scientific aide on the rivers. I worked on the McCullamy, the Cosumnes, the American, and the Sacramento rivers, and we would just interview anglers. So we'd have a research boat or we'd be in kayaks. Every fisherman we saw, we had to go ask them how many fish they'd caught. If they caught certain types of fish, we'd have to take sample or, you know, measure them and take data. That Um, sounds fascinating. It was pretty fun. Um, So I I did that for a short time because then I got offered a job with the Nature Conservancy down at the Cosumnes River Preserve in Galt. And that was more botany focused, which is what I really wanted. But it was a temporary position. It was only like a 10-month position where fish and game could have been my whole career. But I decided to go for it. Um, And it was a a great choice because that was really my first experience with the land trust. I didn't even know they existed. The Nature Conservancy is basically an international land trust. Um, So I had no idea what a conservation easement was. I didn't learn any of that in college, but um, getting that job and like realizing what what you could do with private land conservation um, just made me want to continue on that path. So after that internship, I got a job with Placer Land Trust in Auburn, but it was through this AmeriCorps program. So again, it was a temporary one-year position. And the whole time, were you living in the Sacramento area and commuting around? Yes. I was living in Folsom um, during this time and then would commute up to Auburn for that year. Um, So I was a stewardship associate with Placer. That's 
you know, learned so much from them. During that internship, a position opened here at Bear Yuba Land Trust for a stewardship manager. I was recommended by my supervisor down there and hired up here. Yeah, so now let's talk a little bit about, well, let's talk a lot about the Bear Yuba Land Trust and what it is and maybe a little bit of, of its history um, so what can you tell us about how it started here? Yeah, so it's been 33 years almost. Earth Day is our birthday, so that's April 22nd. Um, but 1990, it was, you know, a small group of people um, got together. They kind of saw the development coming up the hill from Roseville, um, They and they wanted to, to do something about it. So we started with conservation easements. Um, we got our first conservation easements in the early 90s down um, by Round Mountain, down by the South Uber River. So what does a conservation easement mean? So a conservation easement, it is a, it's a willing agreement between a landowner and a, a land trust or other organization. Um, the landowner is still, still owns the land in fee title. When you think about land rights, we talk about it like a bundle of sticks. So you have all these little these sticks that are your rights, mineral rights, water rights, development rights. So the land trust holds a few of those sticks in this agreement. So it's, it's usually the development and subdivision rights. Um, so the landowner is voluntarily putting restrictions onto their land permanently into the future. You know, it's recorded, it's on, it's on title forever um, that allows them to create a legacy on their property, basically, in perpetuity. There's also financial, um, you know, benefit to, there, there's financial value to a conservation easement. So often I've heard the term um, land rich and... and uh, cash poor. Cash poor. Right. So th does this balance that aspect out? Yeah, that's a that's a big part of it. You know, there's there's some landowners who can donate the value of a conservation easement. It's all it's all uh, uh, determined by an appraisal. But um, some people can donate it. They can get a income tax benefit for 16 years. Um, so, but but more and more, the ranchers and you know a lot of these big lands we're trying to work with, it, it is more of that situation, land rich, cash poor. So we're able to get that value with an appraisal and actually go out and get grant funding to purchase the conservation easement from the landowner, so that they can then put that money back into their agricultural operation or just you know be able to sustain their land long term. But it still belongs to them, and they can right. pass it on to their kids and grandkids. Oh, yeah. Yep, it's it's in their name. You know, they own it. In fee title we're just we have an easement on title so so that means it's not going to like as you said it's the sticks so there's they're they're not going to develop it and yeah and they can't you know there's all there's a lot of nuances and a lot of just um details that can that are different in every easement landowners can choose to reserve building envelopes on their conservation easement it all impacts the value but they can still do future development you know if they have an existing home they can keep that they can rebuild so it's really tailored to the landowner's wishes um the more that they withhold and the more that they allow the less of the value but um our goal is really, you know, we, ha we have these areas where we focus our efforts for conservation, trying to piece together these wildlife corridors. So if we can get conservation easements and know that it's not going to be subdivided and developed within these, these you know, highly valuable areas, then that's, that's really what we're focused on. Yeah, and so that's so interesting because as you were first talking, I'm thinking about an individual landowner, maybe some large ranches, but 
you're looking at a really big picture because you were talking right. about the migratory aspects of it, you know, with animals and birds and um, how this affects way beyond just our local community. Yeah. We're, so our service area is 1,000 square miles. Um, we have eastern Yuba County, western Nevada County. Um, we have to date protected about 23,000 acres through conservation easements. We also own land in fee title, so we own about 4,000 acres of land. Um, and we have within that thousand square miles, we've got these like strategic focus areas where there's even further defined goals. So like right now we're sitting in the urban core region. So within this urban core region, it encompasses the cities and the populations. We're really focused on trails, trail connectivity, outdoor. Um, yeah. So now we're, we're talking about not just individual property owners, but the public. This is right. how the public benefits. And you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and I'm talking to Aaron Tarr, Executive Director of the Bear Yuba Land Trust. So you're, you're getting into something that, um, you know, maybe some people who are listening have large pieces of property or they could mean something to them. Um, but this, what you're, you're next kind of flowing yeah. into something that means something to to everybody here. Right, right. So that's really like a big part of like the direct public benefit that people can see every day is walking on the trails that we build. Um, so so one, one part of what we do is saving land. Another part is building trails. So we've got over 45 miles of trails locally that we built. And I think something really unique that we bring is we hold trail easements across private property. So when we're looking at Nevada County and the trail systems, a lot of them are disjointed. Um, we really want to see that connectivity. So we're able to work with private landowners who can give us just like a small swath, you know, like a 10 foot, 20 foot swath through their property to allow the public to go through. We take on the maintenance of that and just ensure that it's open to the public. And how do you do that to, to take on the maintenance? Because that becomes pretty expensive over the, the long run. Right. That's the, you know, that maintenance and stewardship are always what grants won't fund, you know, and you, it's hard to find funding for that. But we, we do appeals every year. So we do our we do our lands appeal. And then in the summer, we do our trails appeal. So that's coming up. And we do our celebration of trails event with that. So right now, we're really, fo we're really dependent on on private fundraising to fund all of the trail maintenance. Um, we are, we did just put a grant in with the county seeing if they would also help fund it. Cause it is, you know, it's this community benefit. I think a lot of people assume it's being funded by the county or that they are county trail. You know, we try to put signage up, but I think a lot of times people take it for granted, you know? Well, and I think um, what I've heard you say, and, and then also um, last month we had, uh, Brian Bisnett on, oh, yeah. and uh, he was talking about his property that, that he became involved in, and then the many, many partnerships and collaborations as he helped make sure some of these pieces uh, or some aspects of the property would be in stewardship for people. So can you talk, is that the, that's Black Swan pro yeah. Project? Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine everything that he did down there, you know, how much work went into all of that. But yeah, Black Swan, it was 65 acres that we purchased from Brian with grant funding, um, the old hydraulic mine site there, and then we built the trail, uh, the loop trail around it, and then uh, donated it back to uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife because they own the adjacent 600 acres where they're going to and expand trails. This just fascinates me, Erin, because working with so many different individuals, but then the organizations that they work with, 
talking with you, talking with Brian, it just, you're so both so easy to talk to. It seems like it would be pretty straightforward, but I have a feeling it's not all that straightforward. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. There's a lot of, there's a lot of negotiations, a lot of paperwork, a lot of, yeah. And a lot time, of but boy, yeah. I mean, the, the, the benefit that comes to the community, and I know you have a staff, um, so how big is your staff to do all these things? We have 10 people right now on staff. Um, and really, it's like each person is so, um, they, they own a program pretty much, you know. So each person is so um, important to the whole or the organization. Are there specific skill sets that, that you have to have for these kinds of jobs? Well, I mean, we've got everything from... Develop a development director, you know, who's got to have a background in, in fundraising and, and things like that to our trails coordinator who needs to have experience in how to lay out a trail, how to go through CEQA, how to do the planning. Um, and then we have two conservation program managers. Um, so they're the ones that run our conservation easement program and then our fee tie, the lands we own, all of our restoration. So those two are really need to have, you know, environmental backgrounds. Um, GIS is, again, always a really important skill to have. And then um, real estate. We do a lot of that's you know, that's what I do mostly. I, I do all the land acquisition um, work and it's really real estate is what I'm doing. Oh, well, that's just so fascinating. And and are you able to do all the work that you do with just yourself and, and your staff members? No, I mean, there's no way we could do it without our board. Um, so we have a 12-member board who is, you know, very involved. We've got 12 committees, I think, right now um, that the board members chair and, and run and just keep things moving. So, yeah, I mean, the board is critical. And then we've got a lot of community members, too, that help out, like former board members, people at businesses, um, Andy Cassano. I feel like everybody knows Andy, but I mean, he's been one of my mentors forever and helps out all the time. Um, so, so it's definitely a community effort. So can the public who enjoy the trails, can they do anything to help out? Oh, yeah. Um, volunteer. You know, we, we if, if you want to get out there and actually get involved, we've got a lot of volunteer days that we do. So we have a Alina Church. She's our community engagement manager. She kind of runs that whole thing. Um, and there's trail adopters. So we have a couple orphan trails, I think, still that don't have adopters. That's another way. Um, yeah. And then come into our events. We actually have our um, community rendezvous it was rescheduled from March 2nd because of the storm. So that's going to be April 4th at the Kombuchery. It's a free event, just open to the public. And it's really like, just come get to know us. We're going to be talking about exciting projects and everybody will be there. So the website for the Bear Yuba Land Trust? It's byLT.org. Okay, great. And yeah. people could just Google Bear Yuba Land Trust too. Yeah. Because your website has all sorts of trails. That's it, what I was going to say, yes. Yeah, it, I... There were so many years after I first moved up here, almost 30 years ago, coming from the Bay Area, you could buy books anywhere that told you where the trails were. And here, everybody says, oh, you know, it's down past where so-and-so used to live. And I was <laughs> like, we don't know how to find these trails. Yeah. So you can just go to your website. Yeah, we have our trail. We're actually going to be putting up a new trails portal in just a couple days. Which oh, is almost very, finalized. So very even exciting. better. Yeah. So we've talked about the Bear Yuba Land Trust in the, did you say 1,000? miles or thousand square miles, square miles. Yeah. Uh, and then you said that the job that you had that that internship was about an international land trust but are there 
is that beyond um, this this county? I mean, is there anything in California? Oh yes, there there are. I believe over 1,600 land trusts in the United States. In California, I might get this wrong, which would be terrible. I think there's about 600. In California? Yeah. And I think I read that you're president of the Sierra Cascade? I Yeah, the Sierra Cascade Land Trust Council. Um, so that is a, there can't be 600 land trusts. I think there's like 100, though, in California. Anyway, um, Sierra Cascade Land Trust Council, that's a group of 20 land trusts in the Sierra and Cascade regions. Um, so it was really formed, it was formed about 15 years ago as a way for the land trust to have a louder voice in the capital um, and really speak up for protecting land and allocating funding to our region. Um, you know, we've got the headwaters, we've got 60% of the water for the state, um, the agricultural lands and the Blue Oak Woodlands. Um, a lot of it was just getting overlooked. A lot of money was going to the Delta or to the Mountain Meadows. Um, the Sierra, a lot of the Sierras was just getting overlooked. So yeah, a way to elevate our voice as well as just have that collaborative place for executive directors and other staff to come and, and learn from each other. Oh, it just, it, you know, it's amazing to hear all of that, that is being done and there's still, I, I know more to be done, but just yeah, but the state's getting behind it now. There's like this 30 by 30 initiative that Newsom passed and then Biden also passed a federal one. So protecting 30% of the state's land and water by 2030 so with that initiative comes funding directed to the state agencies. So, yeah, we're just highly involved in, in all of those discussions, trying to ensure that we bring money to Nevada County and are able to protect more land, you know, enhance more outdoor recreation. And well, it, it is truly very exciting. And the time is getting away from us. And, and I also wanted to talk to you about some of the other activities that, that, that you do because... Um, you are a sage of this community. You are a, a leader who helps make our community a better place to live. Uh, but I know you're also involved in other activities. So um, you mentioned kids. Are, are you involved in any of the activities with your kids? Um, yeah. So I have three kids. My oldest is 20. Um, she goes to Sierra College, Savannah. And then Caden, actually... I'm homeschooling Caden now, as of this week, so he's a junior, <laughs> so now I'm a homeschool teacher. Oh, my, just <laughs> add it to your list. <laughs> but it's going to be great. I'm really excited about it. And then I have a nine-year-old, Lila, um, who goes to Yuba River Charter School. So um, with Yuba River, I'm, I'm still really involved. My older kids went there. I'm on the Education Foundation there. Um, and then just all the other activities. You know, my youngest is in a hip-hop dance class at the Center for the Arts. She's on a snowboard team up at Auburn Ski Club. Um, and then, you know, me and all my kids, we all snowboard, so we spend a lot of time up in the up the hill. Well, and now I can winter. appreciate, because you were talking about getting some snowboarding in, and I was just wondering how you, you, you fit that in with the storms that we've had. But now that I know you lived in Alma, Colorado, <laughs> it's nothing probably to drive there, huh? Right. No, it's <laughs> unless the road's closed, I can get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because so you were just saying that you went over, um, is it 395 to get to Mammoth? Well, 395 was closed for the avalanches, so we actually had to go all the way out to Nevada and back around. And you do this for the weekend? That was more of like a four-day, five-day. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Impressive. Well, as we, as we get closer to the end here, um, I wanted to to touch base with you in terms of what you see that could be done if you were able to wave a, a magic wand to improve our community somehow, um, what would you do or what, 
what would you create or what problem would you look to solve? Oh, I know it's such a huge question. Um, I think as I've been thinking about it, I mean, one of the major things for me is affordable housing. Um, I think that a lot of other issues would be solved or at least made better if we started to figure out how to address affordable housing a little better. And I know, you know, they just opened that great community here in Nevada City, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, we see the farming community, um, the, the people that are sustaining our community and making this place so great, not able to afford houses. And, you know, even I, I don't, I don't think I could even buy a house here right now. Um, so I see it as a big issue and I don't know how to solve it but I think that it would help a lot. And I, I'm glad to see the counties and the cities really focused on it. Well, and, and I think that by talking to people like yourself who, who take on these huge projects of conserving land and then all that collaboration and communication that goes into having it and then seeing the momentum, like as you were just talking about, the 30 by 30, right? Yeah. Um, it gives hope in different, different areas. So I know that housing isn't your area, but right. but it it says, wow, if we could begin to protect this kind of land and the, our waters, um, there's hope. Yeah. So I think, you know, the land trust, we might be seen as like anti-development, but we're really not. So I think that's, you know, smart growth and infill. We're all about that. So I think that's important for people to know, too. Yeah. And I think that is a very good point that we um, that we finish up on, that, that land trust is is about um, balance for everybody and, yeah. and making it work. Well, I want to thank you for joining us, Aaron. Uh, my guest has been Aaron Tarr, the Executive Director of Bear Yuba Land Trust. And the purpose of this program is to inspire and invite people to participate in the betterment of our community. Discover how you can make a difference by tuning in Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Next Wednesday, join Sage's host, Brian Buckley. You have been listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank.